Jesus said the house, okay? So we're going to use this. A house usually is a square or a rectangle. Most houses are shaped with that. And because of that, that house sits on a foundation, and that foundation has four corners. So we're going to use that thought, the four corners of the foundation. That's what I want to talk to you today about is the four corners, the four four points of a foundation in a true biblical foundation. And we're going to go through each one of these. And each one of these are necessary for you to have a firm foundation. And if just one of these foundational pieces isn't working in your life or isn't where it needs to be in your life, then it's going to uh, it's going to uh, uh, um, damage the integrity of the entire structure of your life. You can have three solid corners of a foundation, but if one corner of the foundation is flawed, the en- entire house, the integrity of the entire house is compromised because simply one foundation. And I will find probably over the next few minutes, some of you will go, yeah, I, I-, I get that or I live like that. And you might live like it in one of the four, two of the four, a lot of you in the three of the four. But I would say for most of us, one of these areas is going to be something we're going to have to examine and say, okay, Lord, if I, am I really truly living that way? Because I don't want my foundation to be flawed. I want my foundation. It's not just what your foundation's built upon, but it's also what kind of foundation have you built You can build a foundation on the rock, but if the foundation is built flawed, it doesn't matter if it's on the rock. It's still going to crumble. So we have to establish, we've got to build it on the right place, right? We've got to build it on the rock, not the sand. But also, we've got to establish what kind of foundation are we going to build? We can't just go throwing, you know, you can't build a sand foundation on a rock and expect it to stand. You've got to build a firm foundation on a firm footing for it to work. So we're going to talk about the four corners. And I believe these are four basic corners of a foundation. And when you lose sight of one of these corners, it can it can tear your whole world apart. Your whole world can come crashing down because of this. And I believe when you study the Word of God, you can find these four corners, these four pillars, these four stakes in the ground. You can find it throughout from Revelation all the way from Genesis all the way through Revelation. You can find these. The first one, the first corner of the foundation, is the corner of eternity. The reality that there is an eternity before us today. We live in the YOLO generation, right? In case you don't know what YOLO is, it's the you only live once generation. It's the attitude that you're, you, you need to live your life because you only get one life and so you need to live it to the fullest, experience things to the fullest, pleasure and what the world has offered, live it to the fullest because you only get one life. Because for most, this is the only existence that really truly is. Because we've lost sight of the eternal. And then we live in a world of instant gratification, right? We've, we, 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 instant gratification is the name of the game. I mean, nowadays I have Amazon Prime. I don't even want, if I have to wait four days for something to arrive, I'm frustrated. If I have to click on that button that says shipping five to seven business days, I'm like, you know, I want it here. 
I want to order it. I want that prime truck pulling up two days in, two days later in front of my house. I, I want to order something and get it immediately. I, I want to go pick it up now. I don't want to wait because that's the way our world is, right? We don't want the waiting game. We don't want that. We, 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 we don't live in a world anymore where, where patience and, and that is the name of the game. It's instant gratification. It's a now thing. It's a, it's a momentary. We're impulse buyers. We're impulse shoppers. We're info commercial shoppers, right? You're up at 11 o'clock at night. You had no intention of buying a chainsaw. You live in an apartment. You don't even need a chainsaw. But the infomercial came on and told you this chainsaw is the greatest thing ever invented. I got to have the chainsaw, right? It's an instant gratification. It's the moment. And we always are chasing the next thrill. We're chasing the next Instagram pic post, the next Facebook post, the next vacation, the next moment, the next party, the next holiday. My goodness, look at it. Look at the way our world is now. You can barely get through one holiday before they start shipping and putting things in for the following holiday. The moment February 14th comes and all the candy and all the hearts are gone, they immediately start putting on the shelves the chocolate Easter bunnies and things. As soon as Easter is over with, then we start putting on the Memorial Day and the 4th of July things. And it won't be too long before those hit, those get off the shelf and sometime probably in the middle of the summertime, they'll start putting out the Halloween things and the candy and the costumes. And the moment that's over, then the Thanksgiving stuff almost comes right behind that and Christmas stuff will start to rent. I mean, because remember before, you know, you used to be able to enjoy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving used to be a family time, but now Christmas is so big, you can't enjoy Thanksgiving. You got to hurry up and eat. You got to hurry up and get your food in because you got to get on the Black Friday sales because Christmas has started and hurry up. Let's, instead of eating dinner late, let's, let's eat at one or two in the afternoon because we got to be ready to go at 6 p.m. because, you know, Walmart or Target or who, you know, back in the day, it was before they went out of business. Toys R Us used to open at 6 p.m. on Thanksgiving night. I mean, people would be lined up there, like ready to just pounce on those deals that are at the front of the store. And people would be fighting over that bike that's on sale because we want it now. That's it. We can't enjoy the moment because we want the next thing. And Christmas is over. As soon as Christmas is cleaned up, New Year's is cleaned up, they'll start putting hearts back out and candy and things for Valentine's Day and we keep giving we're just driven driven by the next thing we've lost sight of eternity it's now more we want more of this more money more more pleasure more of this more 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 but without the vision of eternity there's no true perspective on the current when I lose sight of the fact that there is a heaven there is a hell. There is a reality of heaven and hell. I know something we don't want to discuss. We don't like to talk about. That's something that, no, you can't scare me today. And I want to talk about that. That scares me. But the reality of it is, go read it in the word of God. It's there. There is a heaven. There is a hell. There is a heaven. There is a hell. You and I, whether we like it or not, we're going to spend an eternity in one of those places. It's going to happen. There is an eternity there is an end to all this. There is an expiration date. The Bible says there's a point in undemand, once to die, and after that, the judgment. There is an expiration date on all of us. There is. The, the grains in our hourglass, as God tips it over, the grains are spilling out. I don't know how much time I have. I, 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 I don't know if I'm going to make it to 
55 or 65 or 75. I'm not guaranteed that. The Bible says take no thought for tomorrow. I can only live in today. Because why? I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. I'm not guaranteed a full life. I'm not guaranteed to be able to to grow old and see my grandchildren or even my great-grandchildren. There's a termination date on me if the Lord tarries or if the Lord decides to come back. We don't know when that is. So there's an end and understanding that that because of this is just a temporal place, and I'm going to read a scripture for you in just a moment, but because this is a temporal place, a temporal time, if we lose sight of eternity, we make this world everything to us. Can I tell you something today? Some of you have heard this said before, but let me give you a very powerful revelation that you can live by. This ain't heaven. You can't pray enough fast enough, read your Bible enough, do enough good deeds to make this heaven. If you're trying to make this world, this your life, heaven, it's not going to happen because this is not heaven. God never intended this to be heaven. That's why he said, I said it earlier, he said, in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome this world. Knowing no matter the depth of, do you know what's awesome? This is awesome. As a believer, as someone that's desiring to go to heaven, no matter where my life, the bottom part of my life, if I'm at the bottom part and I'm alone and I'm broken and I'm hurting and I feel like the world is crashing in, that's the lowest point because if I believe there's a heaven, I believe I'm, I'm, I'm a, if I'm a walking with a God that I want to walk with him and spend eternity with him, whatever my lowest point is, that's the bottom because it's up. But if I live my life detached from eternity, that everything's about now, I better make it the best it can because from this point, it's only downhill from here. Paul said this in the letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He says this. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Wow, that's awesome. I love that. We don't lose heart. See, don't lose heart. All right, so I could say to you today, hey, come on, somebody. I know you're tired. I know you're depressed. I know you're struggling, but don't lose heart. Yes, don't lose heart. But that's not what Paul, that's not the full statement. He said, verse number 16, therefore, we don't lose heart. Why don't we lose heart? Here's how. Even though the outward man is perishing, the inward man's being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. How much time are you spending your life investing in the seen things? And how much are you spending investing in the unseen things? How much are you investing in in the seen things, the possessions, the time, the vacation, the money, the pleasures, the possessions, the seen things, versus how much time are you invested in the unseen things, faith, hope, love, charity, these things. How much are you spending? Because Paul said here, here's why I don't lose heart. This is what Paul said. This is the reason why we don't lose heart. The outward man's perishing. We're getting older every day. You can't stop the ticking of time. It's happening, right? Your your hair's changing color. Your skin is starting to look different. You're not the same person you once were. You can't stop time. I don't care what you take, what you do. Time is ticking. 
The outward man's perishing. But Paul said, our outward man perishes, but the inward man's renewed by day to day. But he said this, for our light affliction. How does Paul say our light affliction? The argument is, well, Paul must have not gone through. You know, I've been through a lot. I, I can't say light affliction because my life has been very difficult. I'm sure Paul probably didn't go through much. That's why he could say that. Because if he lived my life, he wouldn't be able to say light affliction. Oh, okay. I guess, well, just throw this out there. Just go read what affliction Paul went through. I don't know. Let's say he was shipwrecked several times. Um, he spent more nights in prison than most of us would ever want to spend. He was beaten. Uh, he was whipped. He was hungry. He was broken. He was cold. He was without clothes. He was out without proper shelter. Um, actually, one time they got so mad at him, they stoned him, and he was basically dead. He was so knocked out, they drug him outside the city because they thought he was dead. So, if you want to call that light affliction, I guess we could call that light affliction. I don't really call that light affliction. That sounds like some pretty damning stuff there. Some pretty traumatic stuff there. Some pretty rough stuff. So, how did Paul say, for my light affliction? I haven't lost heart. This light affliction. You know why? Because he never lost sight of eternity. He said, for this light affliction, which is but for a moment, his greatest pain and suffering the reason he got through that is because he said, you know what? In the light of eternity, my greatest pain is only for a moment. In the light, of, a, of, in light of, of, of thousands and thousands and thousands and millions and millions of years of eternity, your 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 year trial is nothing compared to that. Paul said, it's a light affliction. It's but for a moment. Because it's working in me a far more exceeding and eternal. There's the word, eternal weight of glory. Paul said, I'm not getting caught up in where I'm at because I know where I'm going. If you don't know where you're going, you're going to get caught up in where you are. But if you know where you're going, you'll put where you are in perspective. Because on those days where it feels like the world is crashing in, on those days it feels like the world is coming to an end, you know, God, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. In case you want to know, I didn't just make that up. That was an old song. Even the song says, Oh Lord, don't you know, I have no friend like you. If heaven is not my home, then Lord, what will I do? Folks, I live today knowing I can face anything, any difficult. Does it make it easy? No. Does it make it like, well, am I just holding my hand up going, yeah, hey, problems, come over here. I'm, I'm, I want problems. No, it's the fact I know whatever I'm facing this is not the end. This is not the full story. The pen is still in the hand of the author and the finisher. So the first corner of the foundation is eternity. The second corner of foundation is lordship. Remember, we're talking about the four corners of a proper foundation. If you don't have these corners in your life, you're not going to have a proper foundation. I don't care if your foundation's built on the rock. If you don't have the right foundation, it doesn't matter if you're built on the rock. So the first corner is eternity. Second corner is lordship. Today, there are more self-hyphenated words in the dictionary than ever before. We got self-assurance, self-criticism, self-determination, self-employment, self-esteem, self-government, self-image, self-love, self-obsession, self-punishment, self-confidence, self, 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 self. Self. 
They're everywhere. Never before have we become a more self-centered, self-driven society. It's really about me, my world, my desires. No man should tell me what to do. Nobody can tell me what to do. It's me. I'm in charge. I'm the master of this ship. I'm the one in charge of my life. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the owner of my destiny. That's sort of the, the, the epitome of the American dream for those of us that live in America today. That's the epitome of the American dream. If, you know, the American dream is you can be whatever you want. I don't know if that's true or not. I think that's sort of a little bit of a false narrative because I'm not sure in this country you can be whatever you want because there's a lot of people trying to keep you from being who you are. Based off your background, the color of your skin, wherever you are, let's be honest, for a lot of us in this country, the American dream is not exactly what they make it out to be, okay? But the idea that it, it, the fundamental part of it is it in America, if you can work hard, you can be a self-made man, you know? You hear people say, well, he's a millionaire and he came for nothing. He's a self-made man. Really, what does that mean? He means that he, he, he was the master of his ship. He was the one who determined. And so that attitude is at the core of our society itself. But I want to take you back to something, all the way back to the beginning, right? Genesis, the book of Genesis Story of creation, day one, day two, day three, three, four, five, six. Day six, God creates man, places him in the garden. Then we know that eventually God created a woman. So you have Adam and Eve. And God gave them this beautiful garden. He gave them all of this stuff to live in. And we don't know how long they lived in the garden, but we knew they lived in there long enough that they had kids and they had things because the Bible says after the sin, after the fall of man, he said the woman's curse was to have pain and childbearing. How can a woman know what childbearing was with pain if she if she hadn't had a painless childbearing? So we know there was stuff happening in the garden. Adam and Eve had, wasn't living in the garden for a few days. They had lived in there for a long time. I don't know how long. The Bible doesn't say. We can only speculate. But they, they hadn't just woken up one day in the garden and the next day kicked out. They'd lived there in the garden for many years. And God put one rule. God's first law, God's first law that he put out there, he put one thing out there in the very middle of the garden, not off to the side, not off in the beaten track, but in the middle of the garden, he put one tree and he said, this tree, this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can have anything you want, but this tree right here, this one, you don't eat it because the day you eat it, you shall surely die. Why would God do that? Come on, man. I thought God was a God of love. I thought the God of God was a God of, of caring. Why would God put a tree in the middle of the garden and say, don't eat it? That's, that sounds cruel, right? That's like putting, that's like putting a, your, your child's favorite food out there and saying, you can have everything in the house, but you can't have that. That just seems like God's taunting them, right? And let's be honest. I don't think it was an ugly tree. I don't think the fruit looked all brown and all ugly and, 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 and just nasty. Because the Bible says when God created everything, he sat back and said, it's good. It's good. Meaning God put his stamp of approval. God never makes an ugly thing. So I guarantee this tree wasn't ugly. I'm sure it was beautiful. But why did God do this and put it in the middle of the garden? What was God trying to do? Was he trying to tempt Adam and Eve? Was he trying to you know, taunt them, say, hey, 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 you can have everything, but you can't have this one? No. What was God trying to do? God was trying to establish lordship. Because in the garden, there was, a, there was a divine order. It was God and man. And God was trying to define lordship. And you can't define lordship unless there's something in your life that draws the line where God says, there's the line, don't cross it. 
And in this situation, God put the tree in the middle of the garden. He drew the line and said, here's the line. You live over there, but this line, if you cross that line, you've crossed, you've crossed my lordship. This is about my lordship. I'm the one in charge. I'm the one in control. And i got to put something out there to show you so, I can, so you can demonstrate to me that I'm the Lord of your life. If I don't ever have an ability to show you, if I don't have ability to put this out there, or to test this, how do I? You can't show me that you're submitted. You can't show me that I'm the Lord of your life. So he put this tree in the middle of the garden. What was Satan's ultimate fall? But people say, well, you know, Satan fell from heaven because of pride. That really wasn't the true essence. That might have been the symptom, but the true essence of why Satan fell because he wanted to be like God. He wanted to def- he wanted to redefine lordship because when Satan was tempting Eve at the tree, what was he tempting her with? Well, you know, he just well, come on, you know, eat it because you know if you're gonna, if you eat it, you'll be like God. The reason he doesn't want to eat you to eat it because he doesn't want you to be like him. But if you eat it, you'll be like God. Satan was trying to reverse the order. He was trying to change the order. It was God and man. But Satan was trying to say, no, 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 no. Let's reverse the order because that's what he tried to do. He tried to change the order of lordship. There is but one Lord. And look what happened. The further we get into the word of God, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, right? These were the laws, the foundation of the laws he gave Israel. And what was the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. I need to be the Alpha, the Supreme, the Lord of your life. You can't go forward. You can't have a firm foundation if you have not established lordship in your life. You've got to have lordship. There's got to be lordship in your life. God can't just be your savior, your friend, your get out of jail free card, the one you run to when your life is all messed up and say, oh God, help me, my life's messed up, clean it up. No, you've got to have lordship. Jesus said when he came, he said, I haven't come to do away with the law. I've come to fulfill the law. Now, there's a lot of theological things wrapped in that one statement. But what was one of the things Jesus came to fulfill? Jesus did not come to do away with lordship. Jesus came to establish lordship. Jesus didn't come to do away with it. He didn't come to say, you know what? You go, girl. You go, man. You, you, you live your life. You do it. I'll come alongside of you and, you know, I'll be your co-pilot and I'll help navigate you. And when you get in trouble, you just call me up and I'll help you through that. But, you know, you go be, you go do you. You go be you. That's what not, Jesus didn't come to do that. I know that's what our world has perverted the message of Jesus Christ to be, that Jesus wants you to be, Jesus wants you to just do you, you do you. Yeah, you do you, but it better be the you that you're doing in conjunction with him being the Lord of your life. You see, now we've tried to bypass lordship and go straight to relationship. Do I believe that we need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, I don't believe in religion. I believe in relationship. That's that's relationship. You can't you can't have true understanding of God without relationship. But we've tried to bypass lordship and go simply to connection. But you see, without lordship, there is no relationship. Mm, I need to say that again because someone needs to hear what I'm saying. 
It's not me saying it, it's the Lord saying it. You can't have Lord, you can't have relationship without Lordship. Don't tell me how much you have a relationship with Jesus Christ if He's not the Lord of your life. And how do I, well, how do I know that He's the Lord of, of my life? Do you have any trees in your life where God says, no? It's amazing that people tell me that the Lord, they have Lordship in their life, but God never tells them no. He only tells them yes. It doesn't work that way. Oh, God's God, God, God's the Lord of my God is God is God is the supreme. He's the Lord of my life. I, I'm I, I He is I am I'm submitted to God. When's the last God, God time God told you no on anything? Well, you know God's love. He never tells me no. He gives me everything. He give me the desires of my heart, whatever I want. God gives it to me. And if He doesn't give it to me, and I pitch a fit enough, He finally gives it to me. Uh, you don't you you miss the understanding of lordship. Where are the trees in your life that God's put in your life that says, no, no, no. For you and me, if you want me to be the Lord of your life, this tree, you don't eat this tree. But God, you're letting everybody else eat it. I guarantee you, I would imagine there were animals that probably came by and ate from that tree. But God said, for you, Adam, and eat this tree. No, you don't eat from it. You're not eating from this tree. I have a hard time believing that you can truly have a Lord and have lordship in your life if God's never defined some parameters of his lordship in your life. If God's never said, you know what? I don't want you doing this. I don't want you having this. I don't want you going. But God, why? It's, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fine tree. There's nothing wrong with the tree. No, no, no. This tree is not about the fruit. This tree is about lordship. But I, I want to connect with Jesus. I want a relationship. But you can't have con- relationship without lordship. You say, oh, I don't believe that. Well, let's just see. Matthew 27, Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, sounds like lordship, right? Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have prophesied in your name, cast out devils in your name, done wonderful many works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart me, depart from me. You who practice iniquity or lawlessness. Meaning, those of you that try to have a connection with me without lordship, I don't even know you. You're not in an, you're not in an approved relationship because God wants to establish a relationship with us that he had in the garden where he was the one. We're God. He's God and we're not. You can't play God in your life. Do you know why we have such a problem with the horizontal dimension today in our world? Do you know why we're dividing the world from right and left? If you're on the right or the left, politically, on the right or the left, socially, right or left. you know why we're trying to fix that we have such chaos in the horizontal? Because we've lost the connection to the vertical. You can't have horizontal connection without vertical connection. And you can't have vertical connection without Lordship. You can't have vertical connection without Lordship. And we live in a generation and we live in a time where everyone says, nobody is going to tell me what to do. I'm not wearing a mask. No government's going to tell me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a citizen of this country. I'll do what I want. We live in a world of that time where nobody wants to, we all want to say, well, no, and I get it. I understand separation of 
rights and constitutional rights. I get all that. I, I, I get that. I, I hear some of you arguing back with your constitutional brain. I'm not talking about constitution here, okay? I'm talking about the attitude of human beings that nobody wants to do what they're told because everybody wants to be in charge of their destiny. And so God comes along, and the first thing God wants to do is show you he's God and you're not. So the first corner is the corner of the first corner of a foundation is eternity. The second corner of the foundation is lordship. The third corner is the corner of accountability. Accountability. The London Times wrote an article years, many, many years ago, and the title of the article was What is Wrong with the World Today? What is wrong with the world today? And they began to list a series of things. And a few weeks later, they published one of the, the shortest letter, letters to the editor that ever been published in their paper. It came from G.K. Chesterton, who was a theologian at the time. And he wrote a letter. He said, Dear Sir, regarding your article, What is Wrong with the World? I am. Yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. I am. We live in a world of deferred blame. We live in a world where it's not my fault. It's because of this. It's because of that. It's because I'm a victim of this or I've been treated like this. And I act like this because I was, this was done to me. And I, I feel this way because of this. We live in a world of deferred accountability. It's not me. It's the system. It's not me. It's the government. It's not me. It's society. It's not me. It was my parents. It's not me. It's my children. It was, it's not me. It's my husband. It's not me. It's my wife. It's not me. It's my boss. It's not me. It's my employees. There's deferred accountability in our world today. Nobody wants to say it's me. I am. I am the problem. I am the problem right now. You know what the problem with our world is? Nobody wants to take accountability for their own actions. Everybody wants to blame somebody else. Everybody wants to point fingers at somebody else. Nobody wants to stand and say, I am. As the words of G.K. Chesterton said, what's wrong with the world today? I am. Do you know what's wrong with the world today? It's Joe Wright. This is what's wrong with the world today. Because you know what the Bible says? Very sobering, some very sobering scriptures in the Word of God says this, Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuses. God is doing things and doing things on this earth. And for one reason only, so that there are no excuses. When you stand before God and He asks you to give an account before your life, you won't be able to stutter. You won't be able to say, but, 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 I did what I was told. But, 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 it was the church I went to. But, 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 I would have served you, God, but that person was hurtful to me. They said bad things. God, I would have given my life to you, but you know how hard my life was. You know what I went through. But, 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 He said, no, 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 we're going to eliminate all excuses. And here's why Romans 14, verse 10 says, but, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For as it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us, each one of us as individuals, shall give an account of himself to God. I won't be able to call up the 
call up somebody and say, "We don't." There's no lifelines. This is not who wants to be a millionaire. You're on the hot seat today. Do you have a lifeline? Let me call up my. Let me call up my friend. Let me call up my neighbor. Let me call up my pastor and tell him, you know, can you tell God why I was the way I was? Why? Why I did the things I do? I need help here. No, he said, "You're going to stand before me and give an account for yourself." And I'm going to eliminate all the excuses. So you stand there. Because here's what's the scary part. This. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Meaning God doesn't get all caught up in what you're doing because he knows why you're doing it. He goes straight to the source, the thoughts and the intents of your heart. He's not caught up over here. He's not. Um, he's not. He's not. Uh, 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 um, he's not falling to the illusion of the magic trick. Look over here. It's an empty hat, knowing that there's a bunny stuffed in the bottom of the hat. He said he's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, and there is no create creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him. To whom we must give account. Wow. Huh. It's amazing today how many people have keyboard courage. You know what I'm talking about. Come on, let's call it. It's keyboard courage. We'll type things out, we'll say things, we'll 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 spew things online through a keyboard or through our phone that goes out into the universe, and we'll say it and we'll we'll say it because we would never say that to someone's face, but we got keyboard courage. Our world is full of keyboard courage. And we're blaming everybody and blaming this and blaming that and blaming this president and blaming this government and blaming this person and blaming this group because nobody wants to take a, a, a look at themselves. Are there problems? Yes. Are there bad people out there? Yes. Are there things that are unjust or wrong with this world? Yes. But in the end, I'm going to stand naked before God, exposed before Him, not being able to hide behind any of that, not being able to hide behind any of the things of this world that cause me. I'm going to have to stand naked and exposed to God and say, God, here it is. I've got nothing to hide behind. It's just you and me. That's the way you and I are going to stand before judgment. And if you don't look at yourself now, the Bible says some men sin. Timothy, he said it in First uh, Timothy chapter 5. It says some men's sins go before them to judgment. Some men's sin follow after him. What does that mean? Is that that those who live a life with Jesus Christ and you live with eternity in your mind and you live with him as your lordship, you live a life where you're, you fall, you have mistakes, but you send those mistakes to God. You send those before you. So when you get to judgment, they're all covered under the blood. But those who decide to live their life their own way, lose sight of eternity, when you get to heaven and you're, or you get to the judgment seat and you stand before God in judgment, all of those sins that you thought were hidden, you covered your tracks. You did all the things. You deleted all the things you needed to delete. You covered all the things you needed to cover. All those things are going to come back in play because you're going to stand there naked and God's going to ask you to give an account of your life to Him. No excuses. If you lose sight of that, it doesn't matter if your if your life is built upon the rock. It doesn't matter if you can sing all the songs and go to church all you want. But if you don't, if you lose sight of accountability, but our world is just absolutely vehement about nobody takes responsibility. Everybody's problem is a is a condition, a disease. 
you don't have a you 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 don't have a uh, you, you know you have an anger problem. You you need to get diagnosed with they have an anger problem. It's not the fact that maybe there's some things in you that you're not willing to admit. There's some areas in your life you're not willing to to put before God. So it's this we've this problem, and I don't want to get into that because I don't want to offend anybody by making uh, light of your of your situation. I'm sure God's talking to you already. But how many things in your life are you using and saying well that or this or, without saying as the words of G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world today? I am. If we would have a, a world where people took personal responsibilities for actions, we would never need another government policy. We would never need another uh, a march for social justice because if everyone took responsibility for their own actions, the injustices of this world could be changed in such a short period of time because people would be willing to look at their own self and the mirror instead of justifying ourselves, justifying it. Or we have governments or whatever hiding. Nobody, you know, someone does something wrong. We don't make them, we don't make them have to face their action. We justify it. We cover it up instead of exposing what's going on because we don't want anybody to be accountable. And so therefore, if you can get away with it, you can get away with it. If you can break the rules, you know, if you can break the rules, it's not really, a, you know, you're not really breaking the rules if you don't get caught. You're not really breaking the law if you don't get caught, right? Because there's no responsibility. There's no inter-responsibility. We've lost the accountability. So eternity, lordship, accountability, and the final corner is the corner of love. God is love. The Bible clearly says that Jesus gave us the two commandments. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Later on in John chapter 13, he even went further and said, I'm going to give you a new commandment. And here's the new commandment I'm giving you. You're to love one another. Well, of course, God, you've already said that. You already told us to love one another. No, he said, no, that's not the full definition. I'm not asking you to love one another. I'm asking you to love one another as I have loved you. And he said, by this love shall all men know you're my disciples because you have one, one for another. Love doesn't equal. We've, we've, we think love is, is, love is equal to agreement. I don't have to agree with you to love you. We may differ on our political views. We may differ on a lot of viewpoints, but that doesn't keep us from loving one another. Because Jesus Christ loves me, even though there's things about me I guarantee he doesn't approve of. I know there's things about me that make him sad, but yet he loves me. That means you don't have to please me for me to love you. You don't have to check all of my boxes. Nowadays, we only love those who fit our certain profile. We only love those who fit our certain box. God forbid we only love those who fit our skin color or our cultural preferences. But God said, that's not love. He said, love one another as I've loved you. I look past who you were. I look past your, your, your frailties. I look past your brokenness and I love you. He said, love with that love. Because he said, that's the love that's going to show the world that you're my disciples. And Paul so beautifully wrote it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. And I read it for you in closing here in the last minute. He wrote it in the love chapter. I call this the love test. Are these attributes what you live by? Because if this is not what you're living by, then this corner of your foundation is broken. 
Paul said, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others. Now get it. What's the definition Paul's working off of, right? Not love others like this big, hey, happy love fest. Paul's talking about love for others. And he's talking about a godly love. Going back to John chapter 13, loving others as Christ loved us. Remember, we didn't have to earn it. We didn't have to do anything. He loved us while we were yet sinners. Christ loved us and died for us. So he loved us not based off our performance. He loved us for who we were. So that's the love Paul's just talking about. If I have all the languages of men and angels, but I don't love, what kind of love? The love like Christ loves me. But I don't love others. I would be a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains but did not love others, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, if I even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And here's the test of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love is boast, not boastful, proud, or rude. Doesn't demand its own way. Huh! Woo! It's not irritable. My God, there's more irritable people now. There's more people that are so easily offended now. You can't sometimes look at somebody without offending them. And I wish that was the case of people outside, but people in, in the body of Christ, believers, brothers and sisters, you are so edgy. If someone looks at you the wrong way, you're offended. I'm not going back to that group. I'm not going back to that church. They offended me. You're not really truly operating in love. The corner of your house is broken. The foundation of your house is broken. I don't care how much you talk in tongues. I don't care what you say. A house is built upon the rock. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is seeking sand. That's not how you're living because your love is broke. Love is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. My goodness, some of you, you could tell me everything that's ever been done to you. Every injustice you can hold record of. But the Bible says love doesn't keep record. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever, whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up. Well, you know, they're just that type of person. They'll never get it right. So, you know, no, love never gives up. Love looks into the darkest, nastiest places of a person's heart and still sees the glimmer of hope and light in them. Love looks at the broken and sees whole. Love looks at the hurting and sees, leaves whole. Love looks at the sinner and sees forgiven. Love looks at the shame and shameful and sees hope. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Four corners of the house today, my friend. If these four corners of your foundation aren't where they need to be, if the four corners of this foundation aren't where they need in your life, then ultimately you will not have the foundation necessary even if you're built on the rock. Eternity, lordship, accountability, and love. The four corners of a foundation. Are your four corners intact today? Or maybe are there some cracks in one of these corners? Are there some things in these corners that are starting to crack that you might need to let the Lord show you today, reveal to you today? Yeah, there's some cracks. 
Is there some cracks in your eternal perspective? Is there some cracks in your lordship? Is there some cracks in your accountability? Are there some cracks in your love? Maybe some of you, it's beyond a crack. The whole thing's falling down. But look, I've got all of this. I've got three good corners, yeah. But you see, for a true foundation, you've got to have four corners. Not three, not two, not even one, four. What is God talking to you today about, my friend? What is God trying to get you to see today? What is the Holy Ghost knocking on your heart today? What is God saying, can I just show you this? Can you listen to me? What offense are you harboring? What what attitude are you harboring? What are you holding on to that you feel so justified because what has been done to you was so wrong and you were therefore are justified for holding on to this, but you've lost accountability and you've lost the true essence of love because now you've skipped, you become the Lord of your life and ultimately you've lost sight of eternity. You see, take your areas of greatest struggle and put them on the scale of the foundations of the four corners and see how they... You don't know what I'm going through. Okay, put it on the scale of eternity. You don't know what was done to me. Okay, put it on the scale of love. You you, you, you don't know that it, what everybody's doing. It's crazy. No, put it on the scale of accountability. Wait a minute. I, you know, I, I want this and I've got to have this and i got to have this. No, put it on the scale of lordship. Put it on the scale today and see how it measures out. See what God thinks about it. Not, not the words of Joel Wright, but his words. How does God look at it in your life? Are you willing to at least let God take a look at it today? Are you willing to knock open the door, open the door of your deepest, darkest closets and say, okay, God, here it is. I've exposed myself. I'm standing before you. You can, you can have every part of this and you can look and see. Are you willing to do that today? Father, I believe I've spoken everything you've given to me to speak, and I believe it hasn't been my words, but I have felt your words flow through me today. I pray now that your words, your words have life, your words have hope. If there's condemnation or there is, if there is a feeling of dread, it's because they've lost the fact of your words. They're listening to the words of shame or hurt. They're listening to words of Satan. They're listening to words that aren't true because your words bring life and hope and peace and joy. I pray today that, Lord, your words would penetrate even the hardest areas of our heart, that your knock would be heard even on the darkest, deepest doors of our heart, that you today, God, would speak your word in our heart and our life. Reveal to us as David prayed, Lord, search our hearts today. Search it as as your word says, know my thoughts, know the intents. Search every part of me today that I don't lose sight of the four corners of the foundation that you're desiring to build in my life, that I can build that foundation upon you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Can I encourage you today? Don't just dismiss this. Go on your day, but would you take time sometime today, whether it's now or maybe later, find a quiet spot and just ask God, God, is there anything in the corners of my heart that you need to show me? And would you be honest enough when he says that you would listen? I love you. God bless you. We'll be back on tonight, 7.30, right at home. Uh, We're going to do it tonight. We're going to take off next week because next week is a holiday weekend. But we will be back on tonight, 7.30, right at home, right here, Facebook Live. My wife and I will be back. We'd love to see you tonight if you're able to come and be with us. And uh, we'll have a good time and see what the Lord will do. But where are the four corners of your foundation? What have you built on you built on the rock? Great. What's the condition of that foundation? Only God knows. 
But if you ask, he'd show you so that you can have a firm foundation. So instead of living a life of if, you can understand when. But when storms come, I know my foundation will stand in Jesus' name. God bless you.